Barbie comes out tonight. A lot of fun things happening I know. right now. Perfect. Uh, Barbie comes out tonight. You're going to the midnight showing with the girls. I am. I'm so. We all have outfits. I'm so jealous. I got a one of those like pink and orange wrap dresses. Oh. You know what I mean? Like she used to wear. Uh huh. Like in like the 80s. Uh huh. I almost bought a pink and orange bathing suit recently. So I'm trying to at Target. Up. No, it was oh, on the, Amazon. The girls have that. Um. One from Target. <laughs> I was like, you guys are gonna match. It'll be so fun. I was really jealous of Caroline's bathing suit on Sunday dinner. I was like, that's a cute ass bathing suit. I know suit. she's so cute. What is wrong with her? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I have been trying to like branch out into like brighter colors. I know it's not noticeable tonight. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I'll be in pink at the Barbie showing now. notice when I wear my purple bathing suit this year. Very big deal for me. Are you going to the Bahamas? Um, am, I, am I in Miami? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I took blue. When I went to um, Punta Cana, my typical all-black suitcase had a lot of blue in it. So you'll notice in the pictures I was wearing dresses, but some of them were blue, not black. Again, you were wearing colors. You were in the water. Didn't even I know, know you were I had down flowers there. in my hair. <laughs> Dominican Alley. <laughs> I'm a really different person. <laughs> Alejandra, they call me. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about bathing suits or travel or Barbie. We already did that. We, we, we kind of are, though. Her. I want to talk about that. <laughs> we're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about Good women, bad women, fictional women, and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians, <laughs> although you had to do a lot more work this week than I did. I did. This is I, a real banger, banger episode that's about to happen. Banger episode. I learned a lot. <laughs> This week. Well, and it's also, we did a lot of research this week, but the next two weeks, Katie and I, our family is on vacation all together. So Mm this will come out while we're on vacation, Mm -hmm. and then we won't be able to record next week, so we're going to have a little, like, fun, you know, mid-season episode. Yeah. So if you need to split this episode up into two, feel free. (laughs) My half is going to be long. Save some for later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But before we get into it, we know... That you're busy. So busy. You're trying on swimsuits at Target. It's the end of the season. They're on clearance. You're in the checking checking room, fitting room. Which is like my nightmare. I hate trying on bathing suits in it's stores. I hate trying worst. on anything in stores. The lighting is awful. The room is too small. You're like, wow, I thought I looked better than this. And now I'm in this tiny box. I just buy stuff and return it. <laughs> I like refuse. I hate trying shit on. I'm a big believer in the fitting room. Okay. I, I think it's an absolute nightmare, but I do believe in it. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 I have no problem returning things to Amazon. Oh, I, well, yeah. Kohl's makes <laughs> oh, that a blast. Course. A blast. Now I have to go to Whole Foods. Why? Your Kohl's doesn't take them anymore? It's not giving me that option on my account. Lame. I know. I used to go to Kohl's, and I go to okay. Whole Foods. That's whatever. Funny. Whatever. We're not here to talk about that. Yeah, you're trying you're to in the fitting room. You're so busy. You're a hero. <laughs> you um, but you can't look up what these women look like. No. Because you're fiddling with the straps. You have your underwear on underneath the bathing suit bottom. Everything's crazy. So what we're going to do is we're going to describe what these women look like for you. Mm-hmm. So you can have a picture in your mind while we're telling you this story. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? Well, this is a flow, flow night. Two, yes, fl- two Florences. <laughs> I am doing Florence Griffith Joyner. And she was a very muscular 
very fit, very smiley African-American woman. She is known in track and field for her bold fashion choices, unlike me. She (laughs) often made or altered many of her uniforms. She made the one-legger very popular, where she, like, cut off the leg of her full bodysuit, but just on one side. I don't know why or the mechanics of that. Um, She chose bold colors, like lime green or purple, and then she would put, like, bikini bottom shorts on over them in different colors or had Speaking like of bathing suits, I know what? and then would have like embellished lightning bolts on them her nails got a lot of attention they're usually between four to six inches long <laughs> like super but the wind resistance super long I guess she didn't need it because she's still winning um and they were usually painted to like match her uniform or the event they'd be like red white and blue at the Olympics so they'd so be like cute. tiger stripes she was insane um, many people also tried to avoid accessories while running, but Florence wore her hair big and down and wore jewelry. So that is what uh, Flojo looked like. Love her. Yeah. What did your Florence look like? Because it's very different. It's very different. Well, my Florence has a very <laughs> iconic look as well. She is a white British woman from the 1800s. She is always wearing a black dress uh, that has kind of like white collars, white cuffs. Um, that little red cross. <laughs> she has a white headpiece that kind of looks like a veil and it sits a little back um, on her brown hair that is always parted in the middle and pushed back she has a long flat face with wide eyes that have kind of like bags underneath of them a little bit um and the last defining characteristic of florence is that she is usually pictured carrying a lamp through the hospital ward she's gotta light the way baby gotta light the way the and it's funny because I'm, I'm looking at your bringing it all together your florence nightingale barbie that is you here is room. here right now but i will say her dress is gray which is interesting yeah she has like a little sash on barbie had to put some pop into yeah. it <laughs> gray not just black which is not morning uh. um but anyways uh do you want to know what you're drinking i do it looks delightful you took a lot of time a lot of fire <laughs> there's a lot of fire involved in this <laughs> so this is called nurse nightingale it is white rum, honey, lemon, turmeric, ginger liqueur, and you top the whole thing off with ginger beer, and you garnish it with a lemon, but I covered the lemon in sugar and brulee it. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. I feel like this cocktail Very would good. make you feel better if you were sick. Yeah, this is like... Obviously, thank you, Nurse Katie. Um, but no, this is a very, like, it t- kind of tastes like lemonade. It's mm-hmm. very summery drink. Mm. And then you can, like, bite on the brulee lemon, and it tastes so good. Yeah, it's just like, lemon and sugar. sugary and charred and lemony. Perfect. Delightful. All right, so what do you know about Floney? <laughs> <laughs> so Florence Nightingale was a nurse, uh, I think famously during the Crimean War, which was a very bloody disgusting disease-ridden war um i think that she came up with a lot of cleanliness protocols that didn't exist in medicine before this time uh i know that a nightingale is a bird and i always used to think the song sing sweet nightingale was (laughs) about florence nightingale but it's about a bird um so that's weird and then we did an episode about mary seacole 
a long time ago, mm-hmm. which kind of I couldn't even find it. Yeah, <laughs> it was it, so well. That's also because the episode's named like Mary, you know, so it's kind of harder to find. Yeah, but usually if I Google it, I will. So, mm. but I know that a lot of the podcast apps like will delete your episodes if they're X amount old. Yes, but so, like it should still be on our website somewhere. Yeah, yeah, but um, it kind of painted her as the bad guy because Florence, because Mary Seacole was a non-traditional medicine person like from the caribbean islands Mm -hmm. and um uh in that in her version of the story it kind of paints florence nightingale as not respecting her yeah but again florence nightingale was setting up medicine that nobody had set up before i think she was like really trying to change the standard of medicine yeah and we'll talk about her a little bit i don't get too much into it because as the history chick said i listened to their episode on florence to get a really good picture of her they were different people doing different things. Right. It'd be kind of like if you're like, wow, like, you know, <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne really does not like Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> it's like, well, they have different jobs. Like, right. Like, different jobs. Just because, like, they're, vi- like, and again, they're, Florence was also probably racist because she was a white, wealthy British woman, you know, in the 1800s. So, right. like, I'm not going to ignore that. I'd say that in a story, you know. But it's also not a great comparison because like they were just doing they were doing different things yes different types of medicine just in general yeah yeah um and yeah but we will get into that we do mention her in this story um and so as i said i used the history checks i used wikipedia and biographics did a really great video on florence nightingale um we're gonna get into the crimean war which is so depressing uh (laughs) i'm gonna use your pen while go for it yeah, it, uh, that's a gross war, yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah, really um, so I think more just, people died of just, disease, right, than, mm-hmm. like, of di- war. Yeah, so okay. just a warning. It will get gross. We will talk about feces. Sure. Um, <laughs> As one does. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and if I, again, those are my sources, so if I get anything wrong, blame those people. Let's get into it. Florence Nightingale was born on May 12, 1820, into a very wealthy and well-connected British family at the Via Colombia in Florence, Italy, and was named after the city of her birth. I had no idea she was born in Italy. Mm-hmm. Is she Italian? No. So she was British, born to an aristocratic family just in Italy. Yes. Okay. Um, her dad was in, like, a weird situation where, like, there were no heirs to, like, his cousin's fortune, and he was, like, the next heir in line but he couldn't gain access to this vast fortune until he was like 21 or something um so he just basically had a bunch of years where he was just like fucking around um and yeah he just like loved italy okay where florence was born um and that was their second child their first child was born i think in like greece another daughter Um, florence is where i got my pink leather jacket (laughs) Love that. That I think Caroline Alley look. (laughs) (laughs) I think Caroline's wearing it to the Barbie movie tonight. (laughs) Uh, But she didn't live there long as her parents relocated back to England in 1821. Her parents were William Edward Nightingale and Frances Fanny Nightingale. Uh, Fun fact one of Fanny's sisters, Joanna, would eventually marry and become Joanna Bonham Carter. Wait. So, yes. Helena Bonham Carter is distantly, distantly related to Florence Nightingale. That's so cool. She's a Nepo baby, though, too, right? I think so. Her, her, her family, I mean, obviously, they she's... Were, yeah, but they're fa- they were famous 
actors. I believe yeah. like stage like, actors. She has a very like old English, old English, well-connected family. No like, wonder she's so crazy. Bananas. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like. <laughs> um, they were English socialites. They had people like Ada Lovelace over for dinner. Of course they did. <laughs> they With were her also- orange political <laughs> engine. <laughs> They were known for their humanitarian beliefs and their dedication to educating their two daughters, Florence, and her older sister, Frances. Frances had, uh, she was named after her mother, and she also had, like, a middle name of, like, Perithian, something like that, which is obviously not her name, because that's the fictional. Land of fairies? Land of fairies? (laughs) (laughs) But it was something crazy like that, but I'm just going to, that was what Wikipedia said, Frances. Sure. But whatever. Florence's father was a Cambridge man, and he didn't care whether he had sons or daughters. He was going to have Cambridge children. A Cambridge man. Even if they weren't allowed in the actual school building for another few decades. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, he wasn't a super feminist dad all the time. He was pretty convinced that Florence was a boy, even when she came out without a penis, which... He lived in denial for a bit, even having the people of the town they lived in refer her refer to her as squire, which is a traditionally male title. <laughs> now, if Florence had grown up to, you know, not identify as female, we could have been like, okay, that's fine. But um, she very much identified as a woman. Uh, <laughs> her dad just really wanted a boy. He was in denial. <laughs> He's like, God damn it, a girl. <laughs> it's not just a river in Egypt. But he eventually accepted his fate as girl dad, and lucky for him, he ended up having a daughter who had, as some people describe, a once-in-a-generation mind. I did not realize this about Florence. She was an absolute prodigy. Super smart. So smart. She quickly mastered multiple languages, including French, German, Greek, Italian, and Latin. She was well-versed in philosophy, often getting into lively debates with her father. She also learned geography, history, and science. But the thing she was best at was numbers. She had an incredible mind for collecting and analyzing data and was determined to go to university to study math. But her mother did not like this idea, so she quickly put the kibosh on that. She was like, absolutely not. We're not sending you to university. No math for you. (laughs) Number one, they won't take you. Number two, it's not good manners. So Florence kept studying. She kept expanding her mind, and she would often connect with other women who had similar ideas. She married. She made a very good friend in a woman named Mary Clark, who was a famous Parisian salon hostess. She was very smart and apparently had no patience for upper-class English women, except for Florence. I mean, who does? <laughs> who has patience for this? There was a 27-year age gap between them, but they remained lifelong friends. Florence even called her Clarky. That's cute. I love a good intergenerational friendship. I know. Mary was a sign for Florence that women could be something more than a wife and a mother. Speaking of signs, it was also around this time that she started getting a feeling. Some people call these visions, (laughs) but other people use the word calling, which I think is a more apt description of what she was experiencing. So this isn't like a Joan of Arc situation. (laughs) No, God's not like talking to her directly, but she kind of was just like getting these feelings that God wanted her to serve and help others. Like that was kind of what kept like popping up for her. So she tried to exercise this whenever she could. She even helped nurse a dog back to health. After boys in her neighborhood broke its leg for fun, they should be in prison. Was he Jack the Ripper? Is this the end of this story? Oh, my gosh. 
What a thrill. <laughs> so the farmer who owned the dog was just like, well, I'll just put him down then. And <laughs> well, I feel like that's what you did with animals that had broken legs. Yeah. Also, Diane Morgan, a.k.a. Philomena Kunk from Kunk on Earth. <laughs> she does a drunk history on this story. Perfect. And it is so fucking good. She goes, well, we're going to have to hang him. Who hangs a dog? <laughs> Who hangs a dog? <laughs> she is nonstop hilarity. I love her so much. And she goes, and Florence is in there going like, what's blood? I don't know. <laughs> God, it's so good. I'm doing a terrible job of describing no, it. No, no, no. I, I can envision um, it. But yeah, Florence goes, hey, don't hang the dog. Let me try and save his life. Because <laughs> I think we could just bandage the leg keep him off of it for a little bit and it'll heal and it will heal and sure enough just by wrapping the injured leg you know letting the dog heal the dog lived a nice long life thanks to Florence. what did they do when people broke limbs back then who knows please talk to me about this hang him call, call Florence. So, <laughs> uh she also cared for anyone in town who needed it she loved taking care of local farmers or mill workers and she would write down who was sick what the symptoms were, what she did to remedy it, and she would keep a record of it. So she was basically just sending herself through her own little medical school, like, via trial and error. And, like, keeping records. Like, did this work to fix this thing? Right, exactly. Like, she was literally just like, all right, if you're not going to, like, let me go to nursing school, which we'll get into in a minute, she was like, I'm just going to, like, do it myself and, like, learn as much as I can from books, trial and error, and keep detailed, detailed notes i am she loves so notes. frustrated for her <laughs> so frustrated uh then on february 5th 1837 when florence was just 16 she said god gave her the most clear message she said god told me end suffering in the world Poof! big call <laughs> that's a high high order <laughs> so she announces to her family finally because she's been getting this feeling for a while so she finally says guys i'm gonna be a nurse and both of her parents respond, like hell you are, <laughs> which is why she kept it to herself for a while. So was nursing, like, not for high-caliber women, like aristocratic exactly. women? This was for, like, lower women? Yes. Okay. Because if you were taking care of someone, it usually meant that you were a housekeeper, a helper. I see. Um, even, like, they said, like, people who were professional nurses, because it was kind of this thing of, like, well, then you're taking care of people who, like, don't have anyone else to take care of them because, like, a lot of care was in home. So, like, you're a prostitute. Like, you're a sex worker who's, like, oh, already out on the streets. Like, you're not respectable, you know. And why do they keep giving women jobs and then telling them that their job is not respectable? I don't understand it's ridiculous. it. Uh, they were no nurses at this time were known to be, quote, morally suspect and often drunk. So some people also thought, well, like, well, you only want to be a nurse so you can get access to liquor and opium and, like, all this other stuff, you know, and, like, chloroform or whatever. So it was, like, there was a lot of stigma attached to nursing. And especially for a society lady, it was unheard of to choose a career in which you would be guaranteed to be covered in blood, piss, and feces. First mention of feces, not the last. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, It just didn't make sense. And it was simply unacceptable in the eyes of her parents. And it felt a little bit like a slap in the face to them, too. They're like, we gave you everything, and now you want to throw it all away to be around sick people? Her dad was very uh, 
protective of the education that he gave them because mm. he's like, I didn't have to educate you. I didn't have to do that. And now you're taking that education and you're going to go become a fucking sex worker basically is what he took this as. And it's which so is unfortunate. It's so frustrating to me too, because it's the same way. I think people look at nurses now. Mm-hmm. It's like, not that they're sex workers, but that it's like, they're not also scientists. Like they, they're literally getting degrees in medicine. Yeah. They're not a doctor of medicine or some of them are like, yeah. if you're a nurse practitioner, like it's so upsetting to me, like how a doctor can come in and talk to you, but then the nurse male or female is the one that has to run your credit card Yeah, as if they are a lower caliber mm-hmm. person when they also have a degree in yeah. the science of medicine. I like, it blows my mind, Katie. It blows my mind. I know. <laughs> oh, and we will talk more about the respect really of nurses later. Um, but Florence just did not give up on this idea. This wasn't like the idea she had earlier where she was going to go to college for math. She was like, this is literally a calling from God. So sure. for 13 years, she begged her parents to send her to nursing school. 13 years? She even ended a nine-year-long courtship with a man named Richard. Because she goes, Sounds boring, I can't honestly. marry you. I'm going to be a nurse. And Sorry, he goes Rich. Like, what does that have to do with this? So th- she got <laughs> this calling when she's 16. Uh-huh. She's begging for 13 years. She's 29. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Damn. You see how quick that math was? That was really good. I'm you a, could be Florence Nightingale. I'm a genius. I'm a prodigy, some um, might say. <laughs> but it was later revealed that Richard was super into sadomasochism. So, like, maybe another, like, hand of God moment where he was paving the way for Florence to reach her full potential and not be involved with this guy. Um, the good thing is, though, she isn't just sitting around saying, can I be a nurse now? Can I be a nurse now? Can I be a nurse now? She was doing a lot of traveling during these years. She's obviously helping people still. She's, do, you know, reading. She's learning. Uh, she travels a lot in Greece and Egypt. She even got to go inside and on top of the pyramids of Giza. Stop. She was literally hoisted up the pyramids by ropes and pulleys. So why was that a thing? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, But ultimately found the pyramids to be rather uninteresting. And she didn't care much for Cleopatra. She said she was disgusting. What? Okay. Okay. Just so you know, guys, we cover, as we say in the intro, the good, bad, everything. Yeah, we have to. We have to. So I have have to, for my moral integrity, tell you that Florence Nightingale hated Cleopatra, which breaks my heart. Yeah. Well, I feel like people still disrespect (laughs) Cleopatra. Oh, they totally do. They'll be like, oh, she spoke nine languages. And they're like, oh, but she's so fucking hot. Yeah. (laughs) Stop. She slept with so many men. Like, two? Two. You mean two? You mean two got two long-term monogamous relationships? Excuse me. (laughs) What a whore. So then it's 1850. Sure. Florence is 30 years old. Yeah, that's my favorite year to be. (laughs) And one of her traveling companions, she loved to travel around with this, like, one particular family. And the dad of the family gets sick. And it's recommended that he seek treatment in Germany. Florence senses an opportunity. She goes, oh, I'm already traveling with you. I'll just come with you to Germany. And she's like, I'm already in Germany. Maybe I'll just pop over to the Kaiser Institute because they have a two-week-long nursing program. Oh, my gosh, like Kaiser Permanente? Is that where that comes from? Shut up. (laughs) 
my insurance. Hello. <laughs> Been there a lot recently. They, Allison Janning does their commercials. They got I love addicted it. to steroids. Um, <laughs> and ibuprofen. <laughs> now I'm in withdrawal. Oh, my gosh. This is actually, <laughs> I don't want that to sound flippant. No, 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 no. The opioid crisis that we're definitely in. Um, we'll talk about it in Patreon if you want to sign up. Hey, sure. Um, <laughs> so she goes over to this place. She takes a two-week nurses training course she writes a letter to her parents telling them the plan but maybe kind of on purpose maybe on accident it doesn't reach them until she's like already in the course Mm, (laughs) and it's mm -hmm. like pretty much done they were a little mad but at this point florence just like doesn't give a shit anymore she's She's 30 30 year old woman i can be a nurse if i want to yeah honestly she goes and you know what (laughs) i want to go back next year for the three months training so more power to you flo so she studies for the next couple of years, and by 1853, she is finally an official nurse at a hospital for distressed gentlewomen in London. <laughs> now, I can't quite call it a job because she's not being paid for her labor here. In fact, it was costing her money to work at this hospital. A volunteer, one might say. <laughs> she wanted to engage in hands-on learning at a hospital, and you know, she wanted to really like just kind of like get in there and put her training to use and see what was going on in the actual building. Um, So she wanted to shadow doctors. She wanted to learn from them. But since she was a lady, she had to have a chaperone. So a single lady at that. Um, So she had to pay someone to look after her. So she's paying to work there. Yes. (laughs) She's paying someone else to work there for free. Of course. It didn't take long, however, for her to start noticing that things needed to be improved. She thought that the sanitary conditions could be better. She thought they could be saving money by ordering food from local vendors in bulk <laughs> instead of just like day by day and maybe people would be less hungry. Guys, it's time for Walmart. She also but said, they also didn't have refrigeration. No, but like grains and stuff. Okay. You know, like like a lot of like, you know, like people love oatmeal back then. She was like, why don't we just buy oatmeal in they bulk did? rather than day to day? I only know that from like Oliver. The barley coffers are low. <laughs> So she also said, you know what else we should have? She goes, we should have a library in here, not just for like patients leisurely reading, but she goes, we should have like a medical library. Let's in get here. a copy so, like, of Grey's Anatomy, please. <laughs> get it up in this bitch. We need it. <laughs> we need it stat. What if you need to she check what a rash looks stat. like? Stat. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. I made that up. <laughs> so what if like, what if like you have to check like, oh, this person has a rash. Yeah. Let me check the library. Let me check the library. Let's go look in the Rolodex of rashes. Exactly. I like that idea, Rolodex of rashes. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> scroll. <laughs> Do kids know these days what a Rolodex is? Wow, don't talk down to me because I'm a millennial. Fill it with rashes. <laughs> Here's a prank. Take your parents' Rolodex, fill it with rashes. <laughs> But, like, you have to use a glue Who stick. Who am I talking to, Richie Rich? <laughs> oh, my mom had a Rolodex. Oh, my, I don't. Yeah, my for parents the business, had one, too. For the biz. For, for the, the biz. You know, my busy, busy business <laughs> parents. <laughs> Any busy business person with their salt had a Rolodex. <laughs> oh, and a uh, microwave from Montgomery Wars. <laughs> Anyways, uh, another <laughs> interesting thing she did was she fired nurses who were addicted to opium because she goes, you can't care for patients properly. You're fucking high. Sure. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. 
throw that. Uh, she ended up saving the hospital a lot of money. And within six months, the state of the hospital improved dramatically. I love people who are good at systemic organization. That people say she was a nurse. Really? She was a statistician. Yeah. Her real talent lied in cataloging, numbering, and figuring out what numbers could be better and where these other numbers should go. It's like Moneyball, <laughs> but patterns. with nurses. <laughs> Bloody ball. I mean, so, also, like, she's an administrator. Yes, she, she is. She is, like, the administrator of the office. She absolutely yeah. is. That is her true, true skill. Um, but all of this was happening in time for the Crimean War. Oh, which that's the little peninsula in the Black Sea, yes? yes. The, mm-hmm. In, like, the tennis show. Yes. So Crimea at this time was known as the sick man of Europe. They were a struggling empire who was once great, um, but Russia could see that this was a great opportunity to snatch up some extra territory. As they do. uh They love that shit. They're not doing so well. So they invaded. Britain and France got involved, and soon there was a huge, huge, ugly war around the Black Sea. Even though this war claimed about one million lives, it has largely been forgotten now. And it's interesting because this was the first war covered by what we would call modern media. The first war correspondent ever debuted in this war. TikTok, yeah? Uh-huh. His name was William Howard Russell. And the thing that made him different was he was on the front lines and he could send back reports immediately to the Times of London via the new technology of the telegraph. The other thing that made this war different than others is the military hospitals. So the British government was apparently so against this war that they refused to send nurses to the war zone to care for the wounded. So basically, how this all connects is that William Howard Russell was sending back reports of how brutal the conditions were for the wounded. And because it wasn't taking them, like, months to get reports on, like, because imagine, like, your husband's off at war, and you're like, oh, I'm sure they're taking care of them. And then William Howard Russell's like, Actually, things are really bad, and, like, even just, like, lightly injured men are dying from sepsis. And she goes, uh, no, thank you. We need to do something to change this. Well, it's like having police body cameras. It's like, we need to change something. If this is what the footage I'm getting. Right, exactly. Let's fix this. So, people are getting news. There's a huge outrage because, again, it's like you kind of expect the military to take care of their men, and they just aren't doing that so now they needed to send a bunch of nurses down there and they needed someone to take a lead on the nursing situation so secretary of war Sidney herbert thought okay i need a nurse that i can trust who is good at organizing who is capable of being basically just in charge of the entire situation and who was better than his old friend florence nightingale who was simply bonkers for nursing So in 1854, just one year into her official nursing career, I can imagine the commercial (laughs) for that. Are you bonkers for nursing? (laughs) This might be right for you. You might love the Crimean War. (laughs) So Florence was sent down to be head nurse of the Crimean War. She was in charge of a group of 38 nurses, and she is stoked. She's like, this is the whole reason I was put on this earth to be the best nurse ever and save as many lives as possible. Yo, God said so. But what the very new nurse was not ready for was the realities of the brutal nature of war and the absolute nightmare that was this particular war. Things are already off to a bad start because the hospital 
that was already there was built on top of a sewer that had flooded and not been fixed yet. This meant that injured soldiers were walking through ankle-deep feces. Like, in their open wounds and shit. In their open wounds. And, like, already coming in with infections, and now Mm -hmm. you're in feces. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it smells great. Smells horrible. Rats were plentiful, and the men that couldn't get out of bed had not had their bedclothes or sheets changed in weeks. So they would just lay there in the bed and nothing, Mm -hmm. and they would be, like, peeing and pooping on themselves. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me of, remember the Russian Olympics, the Winter Olympics that were in Sochi? Yeah. How they were so hot and they couldn't get snow to melt? Like, Mm -hmm. this is the hot part of Russia. Yeah. It's fucking steaming. Yeah. This is a really bad fucking situation. They built a hospital on a pile of poo and then are letting, <laughs> letting men sleep in their own poo. Yeah. So I, again, I told you, feces everywhere in this story. It's I hate this. Didn't they learn anything from the Black Death in the 1400s? No, they did not. And also, another really annoying part was that rotting meat was everywhere <laughs> because... No one was taking stock of the food and no one was in charge of cooking. If I leave my fucking cat food on the counter for more than 10 minutes in this time of year, it smells like tuna in my whole house. (laughs) Soldiers were literally told like, well, there's food. Go find it and cook it. They were in charge of feeding themselves. These dying men. Covered in poop. (laughs) I love this. Uh, And, of course, the large gaping wounds that some of the soldiers were suffering from were not being cleaned out. They were actually being made more dirty. So, in the midst of all this filth, gangrene and other infections were rampant. I mean, did the bathrooms have signs, though, that said employees must wash hands? (laughs) Is that not there? No, because no No one thought that that was important. (laughs) Florence. And also, they didn't have enough medical supplies. Right. Of course. Florence called this hospital the kingdom of hell. Oh. Her nursing skills would not be enough to turn this dismal situation around. She need she needed to dust off those motherfucking math skills to turn <laughs> this rotting ship around. During her first winter at Scutari, which is the name of the hospital, around four thousand soldiers died from battle wounds. And when she crunched the numbers, she found that nineteen thousand died from illnesses that could have been prevented if the hospital received two things. Just these two things, proper ventilation and getting rid of the goddamn sewage all over the floor. She goes, guys, the feces are also causing, like, noxious fumes, which are also not helping. Is she also walking through the poo? Oh, yeah. Everybody's walking through the poo. (laughs) So they go, ventilation, okay. They start breaking windows. It's madness in here. I just want to make that very clear. So instead of just, like, opening them or like doing something maybe like they, they couldn't like open maybe they couldn't open so they just start breaking the windows good um i love that so, but now the rotting meat has flies on it because they broke the windows how many I flies mean, are in that place clear, so many the maggots the, the flies and the maggots were already there oh my so God. these are the problems she focused on first ventilation and sewage sure she tells all this to the british government so they could fix the problem and she also started holding regular meetings with officers about maintaining basic levels of cleanliness she goes we gotta bathe the patients we got to change the dressing, wound, wound dressings, whatever. And she goes, and we got to have nurses and doctors wash their hands. <laughs> she was a big proponent of that, which a lot of them at the time, we're at a time where people don't really believe in germ theory 100%. Right. They're like, it's a theory. We don't know this for sure. 
I want her and Dr. Fauci to have dinner together. They would love it. <laughs> what a treat. She also employed other common sense methods, such as numbering the beds, making a schedule for checking on patients so that nobody got missed, and keeping a record of supplies, food, and medicine to stop staff from stealing them, because that was also happening. Can you imagine? They would steal the supplies and the food from the sick men to sell them on the black market because they could make more money. And once these basic fucking issues were addressed, the rate of death dropped from 42% to 2%. People thought that having a society woman as a nurse would be detrimental, but it actually ended up being extremely helpful because the other thing that is very, very important to note about Florence is that she had connections to important fucking people. She knew who to ask for money and supplies. Mm -hmm. Remember, she got this job because the Secretary of War was an old friend of hers. It's all about who you know. She had direct access to him, which made this all a lot easier. She also had access to do-gooder society ladies. So she would write to her friends back in London and say, hey, do you want to help? Don't send me money. Send me items that will make the soldiers more comfortable. Send me slippers, games, art supplies, cookies. Make socks for them. She was like, I will have the government take care of the necessities because that's their job. You take care of the creature comforts because she knew even back then that just having things that made you feel cared about improved your health. It made the soldiers feel like someone gave a shit about them. Yeah. Which is so important. Even the queen herself contacted Florence and said, what can I send to make the soldiers feel better? Which this is Victoria at this Mm -hmm. point, yes. And apparently she said, actually, if you could send razors, that would be great. Because a lot of these men, like, you know, like shaving is not important enough for them to supply it. But like they, these men would love a nice clean shave. Which is like, I would never even think of that. Like, yeah. I don't know. So she wanted to give these men a bit of their humanity back rather than treating them like sick livestock, which is what the government was doing before this. So it has been said for years that death rates increased once Florence got to the hospital. And that's more of a correlation than a causation. As we have said, things had gotten to a real boiling point during the time that she had arrived. So really what was happening during her early time there was, you know, conditions were the worst they could possibly be. The, com- the hospital had completely run out of medical supplies and she needed some time to figure out what was going on. So like a lot of people like to point to this statistic and be like, see, like Florence Nightingale's a terrible nurse. And it's like, Let's look at the bigger picture. <laughs> right. It's like, let's look at her entire tenure there yeah. and see the changes that happened. Yeah. And I think that people do this because, like, she obviously became very, very famous. <laughs> so, and basically why she became famous was the Crimean War didn't have a lot of British heroes. They didn't have a lot of British military heroes. This is a war that nobody really wanted to be in. It's kind of like their Vietnam. Right. I like to think of it. I like to think of it. <laughs> the way I look at it is. Um, so it was just this war that like didn't really make sense. Nobody liked it. It was really brutal. And so Florence was kind of the only person they could point to as being a hero. Well, it, but, because when you lack enthusiasm from home, you're mm-hmm. not getting what you need for like soldiers. And it's like they're still required to be there. Yeah. Whether they're getting socks knitted and sent to them or, or not. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not. <laughs> but the problem was that she wasn't really being heralded as a hero 
for the reasons that maybe she should have. Mm. So they didn't really like this image of this woman telling men what to do and crunching the numbers and dealing with sewage. (laughs) So they talked about Florence mainly in terms of her bedside manner. They praised this hardworking nurse who became well-known for checking on these poor wounded men at all hours of the night, carrying her oil lamp from bed to bed, giving them care and comfort. Uh, Another fun fact was that some people think that maybe she was the only one checking on them because there was, like, this idea that, like, again, nurses are morally corrupt. So they were like, well, if we send all the nurses in there, then they're going to have sex with them. So we'll just pick one nurse, the high society lady one, and she'll go check on them at night. (laughs) It's, like, really weird. There's, like, a lot of weird Victorian politics associated with this story. It really is. And also, like, if a couple nurses want to have sex with, like, some soldiers, like... (laughs) Maybe they'll like it. Go for it. Yeah. Like, if she's down and he's down, like, have some consensual hospital sex as long as the feces (laughs) is gone. As long as the feces are gone, (laughs) have it. Go for it. I'm ready. (laughs) But they loved this angle that a woman from wealth and privilege was giving all of that up, her comfortable lifestyle, to take care of these poor wounded soldiers. Of course. She was a saint. She was the hero of this war. Tales of the Lady of the Lamp spread across Great Britain, and she became a beacon of hope and positivity. The most famous words written about her came from the Times. Uh, The writer wrote, she is a ministering angel without any exaggeration in these hospitals, and as her slender form glides quietly along each corridor, every poor fellow's face softens with gratitude at the sight of her. That sounds like propaganda. (laughs) When all the medical officers have retired for the night and silence and darkness have settled down upon those miles of prostrate sick, she may be observed alone with a little lamp in her hand making her solitary round. Sounds very peaceful, but obviously it was not. (laughs) Um, And what makes this worse is they're like, oh, like the commanders have gone to bed. And it's like, Okay. Also, the commanders are making Florence's job a lot more difficult than it needed to be because they were the ones that didn't respect her. So she had a lot of ties with, like, government back home, but the guys who were there who were, like, kind of in charge, like, didn't really give a shit about what she had to say because they didn't like that she was reporting on the terrible conditions of their platoons or whatever. They're like, I'm in charge here. I decide what's good or bad for these fucking soldiers. And they didn't like all the changes that she was making. And one of their dumbest complaints was they were like, it takes too long for us to get toast in the morning because Florence wants to feed the wounded soldiers first. She goes, yeah, I do. I do want to feed them first. (laughs) They're dying. They're literally dying. And in one case, one of the commanders... He did not like her so much, didn't like the toast situation, didn't like that she passed a bad light on him. So he decided, he goes, well, you know what? Nursing staff doesn't get rations for 10 days. Just don't feed them. But thankfully, Florence, again, because she is a wealthy, privileged woman, she had brought her own backstock of supplies, paid for it with her own money for an emergency. So she was able to feed the nursing staff. She had fruit snacks. Again, the Love Welches. It. Were <laughs> I'm, a Mot- I'm a Mott's girl, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we differ. <laughs> Mott's is trash. <laughs> but then there was the other downside. Florence's own health 
was suffering. Obviously. Well, she's in her 30s in the 1800s. in her 30s in the 1800s, walking around in She's ancient. She contracted the Crimean fever, a.k.a. brucellosis. Brucellosis, whatever it's called. Who knows? This is a bacterial infection that would stay with her um, forever. And it's contracted from spoiled dairy or meat. So this fucking sucks for her. What happened? What ha- Wait, it just stays with you for always? I guess. I, I guess at this time, like, maybe there's a cure for it now. But, yeah, we'll get into it in a little bit. But I want you to know, like, she got it, this disease during he- here. And it affects her for the rest of her life. And she lives till the age of 90. Ooh, <laughs> so it's like Lyme's disease. Really, you Pretty get much. it and it's treatable. But, like, yeah. if you do- it's going to make you sick forever. Yeah. Um, okay. So she's got brucellosis. Spoiled, <laughs> spoiled dairy disease. Um. And it wasn't just the commanders that didn't get along with Florence. Famously, Mary Seacole and her had a very chilly relationship. So Mary Seacole had set up a hospital kind of hotel situation. On the border. On the border for officers. And Florence famously did not allow Mary to join her nursing regiment. And, like, this is most likely because of her race, because Florence was prejudiced, which we already talked about at the top of the episode. But, like, I want to say it again because, like, I mean, we talked. She hated Cleopatra. She's not a perfect person. Right. Um, <laughs> who, hate, who hates Cleopatra? Who hates Cleopatra? Who's mean to Mary Seacole? Besides, like, Caesar Augustus. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I'm not going to get into her story because, again, we covered her. And, like, maybe, you know, we'll repost the, her episode again sometime because I feel like that was a good episode. I feel like we did her um, with that one Jamaican woman. I can't remember. I think Mary Seacole's Jamaican. She is. Oh. I believe. Queen Nanny? No, Queen she's, Nanny. Was she Haitian? Jamaican. I can't maybe. remember. Who knows? But, but it was around that time. Yeah. It was around that time. So maybe we'll repost it because it is an interesting story. But again, they're doing different things. They didn't get along. And that's all I'm going to really get into it. Um, the Crimean War finally ended on March 30th, 1856. This war is most notable for killing millions while changing very little in the world. Mm. Basically, a big waste of time and lives. Florence stayed until August, closing up the hospital, and when she finally arrived back in London, she was given a hero's welcome, which Florence did not appreciate. Yeah, it was like fucking parades and shit, right? Like, she thought that making her into a celebrity and this kind of, like, angel image distracted from the real issue going on. She goes, I'm seen as an angel... Because the military medical department is in shambles. She goes, I shouldn't have had to be this, be in this position. It shouldn't have happened. So she goes, let's not forget that I walked into a literal sewage-filled nightmare. So she went to work immediately trying to get a royal commission established to study the military hospital situation. And all of the data that she had gathered while she was there on preventable illnesses related to deaths and, you know, supply chains and how to feed the soldiers, like all of this she brought back with her. Because again, she loves taking fucking notes. (laughs) But the military didn't care. So they just ignored her for as long as possible. So then she was like, all right, fine. I'll get a male statistician to work with me and co-sign on all of my fucking findings. So William Barr helped her, like, sort through all of this and helped, like, really gather the data and make it so that they could, like, receive it a little bit better. 
So over the next year, they went through the numbers by hand, comparing the hospitals in Crimea, a military hospital in London, and a civilian hospital in Manchester. And through this research, they were not only to prove that hospital conditions need to be better, <laughs> but they were also disproving the current reigning theory of illness called miasma. This was the theory that bad smells caused illness. Florence believed in the new germ theory, and this whole study was a huge step in the right direction because the research that should, like they were doing should have concluded that the Manchester Hospital was the worst because Manchester as a town, sorry Manchester, smelled the worst. It was like an industrial town. There was smog everywhere. Like the whole city wasn't pleasant. It's so fine. Now like, they have a great soccer team. Exactly. Um, Football. But what they found was that the worst hospital of all three was the military hospital in London, which was shocking to people. But they didn't just tell people this. They made a coxcomb graph of their findings. And some believe that this may be the first time that data was presented visually. It kind of looks like a pie graph, but certain pieces of the pie extend further out. So you're seeing it all at once, and they're color-coded, and the size depicts you know, the, the length that it's extending has other exactly, data. Okay. Exactly. So it's like it, there's a radius and it's shooting out or a center yes. shooting out in radiuses from the center. Exactly. Okay. Um, so that's really fucking cool that like she may have mer made the first like visual data graphs. <laughs> well, but it's a great way to stomach information yes, very is. quickly and succinctly. Yeah. And it's helpful for like a novice to uh -huh. understand what's going on. Yeah. And it was so effective that the, military had to listen to her and they're like these are numbers and that's a fucking hex comb chart i have to believe this yeah and a man is involved um so they <laughs> officially abandoned miasma theory and which is like okay but if you even if you believed in miasma like didn't the feces in the military hospital like smell fucking terrible it's like why does like, it smell bad like there's a reason right. like is there pollution in the air is there so, like, maggots everywhere again a correlation not a causation. Not a causation. Um, and they started a major review of their current medical practices. The standards of cleanliness that Florence had enforced in the war were now adopted in London, and hospitals started recording data on disease and death so they could do, do a better job of understanding what was going on in their hospitals. They just, like, weren't recording shit. Mm -hmm. Her fame was now being used for good. People trusted the lady with the lamp, and her credibility caused medical breakthroughs that saved a lot of lives. And along with these changes, the Nightingale Fund was established. The people of Great Britain were so impressed with her work that they donated 45,000 pounds to the fund. And that's in 1800s money. I can't even imagine how much money that is today, but it's a fuck ton. <laughs> and this would all end up going towards establishing a nursing school so she could teach all that she had learned to the next generation of healthcare workers. But by 1857, Florence was forced to slow down a bit due to the infection that she had contracted in the war. She lost an incredible amount of weight, she went bald, and she was often bedridden due to the acute pain. But even though she couldn't move as she once did, she did what she could. She wrote thousands of letters campaigning for medical reforms in more places than just military hospitals. And when nursing, her nursing school opened in London in 1860, she wrote all the rules, all the curriculum. She did 
she managed an entire nursing school from her bed. And she said, I want this school to be different in three ways. Number one, I want it to be secular. She goes, I don't want anyone turned away because they're not the same religion as the fucking hospital or the nurses there. She goes, I also don't want nurses to be using their positions to convert patients. Healthcare and religion should be separate. <laughs> what an astounding idea. Bananas. We have so many religious hospitals in Baltimore, though. That's like, But this is why it's like you're still allowed to like, because like this place is called like Saint something. Right, the archdiocese so is funding it, but they're not forcing it down your throat. Yes, but you don't have to be Catholic in order to go to Saint Joe's. Right, like I can go to Mercy Hospital uh-huh. and just be my normal fucking exactly. heathenistic self. <laughs> uh, number two, it was dedicated to implementing the most updated scientific advances. So she goes, we're not just going to take the information we have now and go blindly forward. She goes, we're going to be absorbing information as we go. Professional Very development. Important. Very good. Good for you, girl. And number three, this nursing school treated nursing as a respected career. And with legitimizing nursing as a career, nurses got decent pay, sick leave, and vacation time. And they also started demanding respect in the hospital settings. Florence made it clear that nurses and doctors were separate entities in the hospital with different skills. Nurses were not supposed to be simply subordinate to the doctor, something we still struggle with today. Let's talk about scrubs for a minute. Come on. Like, Carla. Carla. <laughs> <laughs> and with all this, the profession was more respected outside of the hospital as well. Nursing was now an honorable career. And, you know, not as her parents thought, akin to sex work and alcoholism. <laughs> Florence was also a big supporter of healthcare being available to everyone, no matter how wealthy or poor they were. Another thing we still struggle with in America. <laughs> what? Universal healthcare? I know. What idiot? Unbelievable. But yeah, she was a big proponent of that. And like some people say, like, she's responsible for the current like public healthcare system in the UK. Because she pioneered it. Um, she again wrote many letters advocating for the equal medical treatment of poor people. She goes, people shouldn't have to die just because they're fucking poor. Agreed. We could have used her in the AIDS crisis. Oh, we could use her now. Um, the other positive outcome of this school was that it encouraged nurses to travel and share their wisdom and establish nursing schools of their own. Nightingale nurses had soon spread to the British Isles, America, and Japan opening up satellite nursing schools everywhere. Isn't that fucking cool? That's really cool. Like, hey, let's franchise this. Yeah. Go so have your own. Can know. Go have your own school. She wrote a book when she was 39 called Notes on Nursing, which is still used today and often given as gifts to graduating nursing students. That's so sweet. This is so like Montessori. <laughs> I know. Yeah. She also wrote tons of things on setting up hospitals, keeping them clean and organized. She wrote a whole set of like books and pamphlets on how to cook for troops because she goes what we're doing now like giving them rations of meat and telling them to cook them is not working (laughs) we need to actually be able to feed these men to get them well they need a certain caloric intake of not spoiled food exactly well and she was like another like this is so interesting too she goes also we should probably be like getting some like fresh supplies from whatever country the military is in Mm -hmm. She goes, not everything like shipped overland and steak should be shipped from London. Yeah. 
Along with her achievements in nursing, Florence became the first female member of the Royal Statistical Society. She also wrote a very influential piece of 19th century feminist text called Cassandra. In this essay, she protests the over-feminization of women into near helplessness. And she talks specifically about her mother and her sister. She goes, two women in my family, very intelligent, very well-educated. I know because I received the same education. (laughs) They are now living lethargic, empty lives, which is like, you know, now we kind of see like a little judgmental. (sighs) Maybe they liked it. Um, But she goes, they're not allowed to use their intelligence. And she goes, the big problem is they have to live lethargic lives because they are being actively ignored by less intelligent men. Mm -hmm. And that's really the point that she's making. She's not like, women are lazy. Yeah. She's not like, (laughs) you're told to do this and you did it. She's like, they're so smart, but they're being turned down by people who are less than them. And then they're just like, I guess this is the role I have to live. Yeah, exactly. Upsetting. Um, but it's interesting because she was also not pro suffrage. She thought that getting women the right to vote was vulgar. So many of them are anti-suffrage. I'm going to start saying things are vulgar. (laughs) Vulgar. Can we bring it back? (laughs) Excuse me. That's vulgar. (laughs) Um, But even though this is a woman who was bold and outspoken, she was extremely private. She did not like having visitors. She hated having her picture taken. She even once said, I only want to be forgotten. She also changed her will to state that she did not want a public funeral. Britain did not want to get rid of her so easily, though. And when she was in her 60s, she received the Royal Red Cross from Queen Victoria. And then when she was 88, Queen Queen. King Edward VII awarded her the Order of Merit, which is pretty cool because there can only be 24 members at a time. She was the first woman and the only woman until 1965. Holy shit. So somebody has to be die has to die. And for you to become part of this Order of Merit. Yeah. Where's my invite? Come on. (laughs) I'm just sitting around waiting. But she was only a member for two years because Florence Nightingale died peacefully in her sleep in her room at 10 South Street, Mayfair, London, on August 13th, 1910, at the age of 90. She was offered all of these accolades. They said, we want to bury her in Westminster Abbey. We want to give her parades. We want to do this big public funeral. And her relatives, who had not really listened to her about her desire to nurse, (laughs) actually listened to her. And they said... No, we're going to give Florence the funeral that she wanted. So she is buried in a family plot in the churchyard of St. Margaret's Church in East Wellow, Hampshire, near Embley Park. And her tombstone just has her initials, not even her full name, just FN and the dates of her birth and death. Hmm. So fascinating, right? She just didn't want it. Didn't want it. But don't worry, there are plenty of statues of her and plaques and Barbies with her name on them. (laughs) There are plays, museums, TV shows, movies written about her. She is even on a 10-pound (laughs) banknote. She is not going to be forgotten. And there is a lot to be said about the injustice of her being so much more well-known than women like Mary Seacole. We know that. But I also think we would be wrong in saying that she does not deserve credit and recognition absolutely she used her intelligence and her societal position to change the literal face of nursing yeah she is the reason that nursing is now a fantastic career choice for so many people and even though it's still not as respected as being a doctor and like some people still like the nurse comes in and tells them something and they go i want to speak to the doctor yeah that those are still just cultural hurdles that we have to get over 
And that's wild to think that it was a million times worse. Yeah. And partially too, because it's a female centric career. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times people want to talk to a man. Yeah. A male doctor. Like it just, any male in charge feels more comfortable for people. She spoke her mind, demanded respect for herself and others and helped save the lives of a lot of people. And with her numbers and her detailed records and the changes that she implemented, she's still saving lives today. And I think she did it all with a lot of courage. So I'll end with one quote of hers. How very little can be done under the spirit of fear. That's so great. Florence Nightingale. Yeah, I love that. It's so hard, like, when we tackle things like this, because Florence literally um, is kind of the opposite of when we started to talk about, like, a intersectional feminism. Yeah. Like, she was wealthy. She was in the, the most powerful country in the world at the time and, you know, was white mm-hmm. and was of the appropriate religion. So yeah. there's, like... The only thing working against her is that she's a woman, but it's like that doesn't make her lesser than. Like right. she still did all these things despite yeah. this one obstacle. Yeah. Yes, there are other women who had more obstacles, but yeah. that doesn't make her less amazing. It's so yeah. it's so hard to grapple with that in history, especially yeah. because you know, like she had some opinions that I don't necessarily agree with, but yeah. s- still. But still. <laughs> she like I just didn't I know it sounds dumb because she's so fucking famous, but I just didn't realize how much of an impact she had. Mm. Yeah. Which is really cool. So sing Sweet Nightingale. Flow, flow, flow. Flow number one. Flow number one Next, is Next, we're going to cover the More flow drinks. from the progressive commercials. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that. God, what a career. I know. Sometimes I wish I was flow from the progressive commercials. How, you would have been a perfect flow. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Let's get we'll drinks. <laughs> Part two. Kind of a weird Second cocktail. Florence. I'm Second nervous Florence. about it, not going to lie. Okay, it's so interesting. So do, this is called the Flojo Fast. Ooh. But the Flojo is an actual cocktail. Okay. Um, And you're supposed to take a beer of your choosing, which I did like a German red beer. Uh-huh. And if it's in a bottle, you're supposed to drink down to the label and then pour orange juice for that top little bit that's left. I feel like this cocktail is going to give me diarrhea. It might. <laughs> it's going to taste great. Okay. It is literally just beer and orange juice. It'll be fine. It's like, okay. a, it's like a shandy. Trust Cheers. me. Tastes like a beer. It tastes like a coffee cocktail. Interesting. Yeah. I thought you were, it's, but also maybe that's because I thought you were putting coffee in this. No. So maybe that's also like my brain telling me that there should be a coffee flavor, even yeah, if no. there's not. But I think like German beer is kind of husky. Malty. Yeah. Uh-huh. Kind of like coffee. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I had never heard of it before, the Flojo as an actual cocktail. So I was like, let me pick some orange juice. Let me pick some beer. And you know what? I don't hate it. Yeah. I really don't. It's like, weird, it's, but I, it's, it's fine. Weird, but yeah, it doesn't. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't know. I usually only drink like light Into beers it. now, so this is kind of yeah. weird. But okay, <laughs> tell me what you know about Florence Griffith Joyner. 
I know that she had style. And oh, yeah. she was a runner, I believe. Yeah. And that's it. Okay. I don't know anything else about her. Yeah, she's an interesting person. Um, you know, I did a lot of watching YouTube videos. I did a lot of, like, short podcasts. Mm-hmm articles online she doesn't have a very long life Uh she dies tragically fairly young um but at you know the impact she had was great on the running scene you know up to that point okay so uh let's jump right into our second florence of the night yay florence griffith was born in la on december 21st which is the winter solstice and i'm so (gasps) fucking jealous (laughs) I'm so jealous. I was less than a month away um, on 19, in 1959. Um, so she's around our parents' age. Okay. Or would have been. She was the seventh of 11 children. Her dad's name was Robert, and he was an electrician. And her mom's name was also Florence, which is weird to be the seventh child named Florence. Huh. Like, when you think, maybe she was the first girl. I didn't get the count on her siblings. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, too, because in our past story, you know, Francis, the older sister, was named after the mother. Right. So that is interesting that the seventh was named after the mother. Right. You would think that maybe they just ran out of good ideas for names. Maybe. <laughs> maybe they did, like, both grandparents and, yeah. like, all that, aunts and uncles, and then just stuck in a Florence. <laughs> um, and her mom was a seamstress. They originally lived in Little Rock, California. Um, but then Florence, mom Florence, moved out with the children. I don't really know what happened with the dad, but she moves out with the kids to the Jordan's Down Public Housing Complex in a different part of L.A. Um, so L.A. is just such a sprawling city mm-hmm. that you can live on, like, the opposite side of it, and you're still in, like, L.A. County. It's kind of right. like how we have Baltimore City and then Baltimore mm. County. There's, like, such a huge surrounding L.A. Right, like Pigtown and Perry Hall right. are not the Very same Baltimore. Different. Right, not the same Baltimore <laughs> at all. When in elementary school, Florence already showed an affinity for running. She joined the Sugar Ray Robinson organization, running and track meets on weekends. And at the ages of 14 and 15 at the Jesse Owens National Youth Games, she won both years wow. in a row. So Exciting. as a teenager, she's a really great runner Mm -hmm. uh she was also on her track team at jordan high school with her mom as a seamstress flo always had this interest in fashion as well and uniform flair and this started in early high school where if you're on a four by four team if you're all wearing something it's part of the uniform so Mm -hmm. like if it's really cold out and you all have the same hoodie you're all allowed to wear it Okay. But if one person on the team doesn't have that hoodie or that track jacket or the leggings, can't wear it. Huh. So she kind of convinced everybody to wear these tights or leggings under their shorts for her 4 by 4 4 by 8 She did the 4 by 4 not the 4 by 8 or the 4 by one 4 by 2 whatever. But her team started following, like, the dress code that she put together. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when she was a senior, she finished in sixth place at a California state meet behind two of her future college and Olympic teammates. So like she's running, but she's a little worse than these other girls that are running at the time. But they're also Olympic, Olympic, yeah, like caliber (laughs) athletes. Like, so the people she's losing to also become famous runners. I think that's important to note. Um, but by the time she graduated from her high school, she had set team records in several sprinting events and in long jump so she is very good 
She attended California State University at Northridge and was on the track team. Um, the coach's name was Bob Kersey, I think is how you say it. And um, his team won that year the national championship when she was a freshman in college. Whoa. Yeah. However, Florence had to drop out of college because she had to support her family that was falling apart. She didn't have the money to go to college. Her mom was separated from her dad. There's 11 kids, you know, so there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, so she took a job as a bank teller and hmm. just started working with numbers. Ironically, <laughs> um, her coach though, found financial aid for her and got her to return to college by 1980. But by this time, he got he was working at UCLA so that's where he got her a scholarship to so mm -hmm. she's now going to UCLA which is like a big deal college yeah well and also I've been thinking a lot about this whole like college athlete sports situation because I watched the air movie recently and they were talking about the whole like you know colleges making money off of athletes thing and I feel like this is a great story of like why it's important that like if a college is making money off of like a popularity of a particular athlete, like they should be able to make money. Yes, absolutely. Because then she wouldn't have had to drop out of college to go work at a fucking bank. And I mean, also at this time, remember, this is when the Olympics only accepted amateurs. Oh, like you couldn't make right. money even in the Olympics. God, that's so bizarre to like think about that. I hate the idea that you're sending the quote best in the world to play a basketball game but they're amateur athletes yeah they're not the best in the world then no because they're not they're even in the in nba, NBA. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> it's so crazy to me and there yeah. would be people who like wouldn't would delay their entrance to the nba to compete in the olympics and then like hurt themselves and lose out on millions of dollars this is one of like the biggest arguments in my family because my mom is one of those people. She's like, it should be amateurs. And I'm like, no, it shouldn't. Because Every then it's not I the say, best in the I'm world. Like, You're wrong. They're not the best. Yeah. Especially since like, you know, in some countries they don't have like an NBA. Right. So they're, I, I don't know. But a lot of them will come to America to play in the NBA. But then are they still technically an amateur? I don't know. There's so much going on. But she couldn't yeah. make money. She couldn't make money doing any of this. But now she's at UCLA. Um, and along with her other teammates, she qualifies for the 100-meter final in the 1980 Summer Olympics. So she's so excited. She was the last one to qualify. Oh so the, the slowest time to qualify for the 100 meters. Um, she also ran the 200-meter and um, finished, like, a couple seconds out of qualifying position. So she is now, like, close to qualifying in the 200 and definitely qualifies in the 100. However, the United States government decides to boycott the Olympic Games because of its location in Russia. <gasps> so it's the Cold War, <sighs> and the U.S. is like, we're just not going to go. So now you have this college athlete, primed and ready, qualifies to run in what could be the race of her life, and because of the Cold War, she can't go. I hate <laughs> geopolitical politics. <laughs> Or whatever. Make it into the Olympics. Just, and also just, like, affect people's lives when, like, this is their one fucking shot. It yeah. could be. Or could be. Could you be. know, maybe it's not. But, like, that drives me crazy. Yeah, because it happens again in the 90s. And, like, there are good reasons for this, right? Because when teams boycott in the 90s, it's because of apartheid. Right. And we're like, we're not yeah. going to compete if you let South Africa compete. Like, yeah. 
get the fucking rid of apartheid maybe right. but it's like at the same time it's not the athlete's fault like, no it's not. maybe pull yeah. your funding and let the athletes go right. who knows there's got to be a better way to do this than like yeah destroying people who've been training their entire lives for this i just yeah. they seem like a really i don't know it's a really hard stance to take mm-hmm. I, I don't know i understand it but at the same time it's like damn yeah okay but then 1983, Florence graduates from UCLA with a bachelor's in psychology. So she wasn't getting, like, a shit degree. Like, she's there learning. She's very intelligent. Um, And even though she hadn't made the Olympics yet, that year, track and field starts a world championships. So 1983 is the first time they hold the track and field uh, world championships, and she finishes fourth in the 200-meter dash. And in the beginning, her specialty is the 200-meter which is halfway around the track uh, one time. And the following year, she qualifies for the 1984 Olympics for the 200-meter dash. Uh, she was the second fastest to qualify for the U.S., but her teammate had to drop out due to injury, making her the fastest U.S. competitor mm. female in the 200-meter dash. A lot of focus also was on running in 1984 because that's the first time the women were allowed to run a marathon in the Olympics. Bananas. 1984. Catherine Switzer was the announcer, too. I sometimes forget that Catherine Switzer is, like, like still alive and well. She's, like, still running marathons. Still running I follow marathons. her on Instagram. <laughs> I'm like, God, that was not that long ago. No, yeah. The, I mean, the fact that the year that our brothers were born was the first year women could run the marathon in the Olympics. Maybe that's what went wrong that year. It is what went wrong. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Put a pin in it. <laughs> Just kidding. Our uh, brothers are great. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> speak for yourself. You speak for yourself. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. So, she ends up finishing second place, earning a silver medal at her first Olympic Games. In a the silver. Yeah. That's really great. In the, in the be- second best in the world at the 200-meter dash. But she's really disappointed oh, in yeah. second place. I mean, they say bronze are the happiest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you didn't almost win. You yeah. like almost, almost won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So she's really disappointed and actually kind of like takes a hit here. She starts running part-time and she would go and compete. Like she goes and competes at the Grand Prix and runs the 100-meter dash in 11 seconds. But <laughs> then she like wouldn't compete in the u.s national championship i'm sure it's much shorter now but like 11 seconds sounds insane to it's me. so fast for the that's 100 so meter fast. dash it's very you said that's what half time, halfway around a track that's the 200 oh that's the 200. The 100 is, is the just quarter? the straight oh just the straight just okay. the straight yeah um which is yes a quarter um so again it's like she's picking and choosing what races to go to she's an amateur she's not making money so it doesn't really matter uh she returns to working at a bank she's also part-time styling hair and nails for people but she had met at the olympic trials in 1980 way back in the day al joiner al joiner was also an olympic athlete and he is a long jumper for the u.s track and field team uh, and they end up getting married. So her and Al Joyner get married, and that kind of gets her back in to the Olympic scene. So seven years after she meets him, now she's going by Flojo because it's like Florence Griffith Joyner. So oh, Flojo's very cute. I love that. Uh, all right. 
So, oh, and I think he didn't do long jump. He did triple jump. So if you're really what into the track, hell is a triple jump. Triple jump. So long jump, you run, 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 yeah, and just jump from the flat. Triple jump is like run. It's like a hop, skip, <gasps> jump. I didn't know they were different. I thought they were just different styles of the same jump. No, yeah, triple jump is a different. Like it's different. Uh, like format of how I'm you have sorry. to jump. Track is there are so many niche sports. It's, it's very track. weird. It's very weird. Triple. So I didn't want to get that wrong because somebody's going to yell at me for saying he did long jump, but he did not. It's just like the specificity. Of it. Like I'm sorry, you need to take three skips before you make that jump. Yeah, seems hop, bananas. skip, and a leap, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, because she's now living with another Olympic athlete, like her training kind of ramps up because they can run Holy together. Yeah. They go to the gym together. They eat healthy together. So things are changing. Yeah, I mean, when I didn't date a climber i didn't climb for years yeah. because it was like oh well you know i'm not just gonna go for myself yeah now i do because yeah. the climber i initially started for doesn't do it anymore so yeah. now i do but <laughs> but at some point you need some that point push. i needed someone else i needed a partner to go sure. with me yeah. you know so in 1987 four months after she gets back into training four months she finishes second in the world championships in rome it took her four months to get back up to the 200-meter dash position that she was in before, um, which resulted in her being ranked in second in the world overall for the 200-meter dash. Um, and at this time, like I said, the 200-meter dash is much stronger for her. She was ranked, like, seventh in the 100-meter dash. Before the 1988 Olympic trials, she decides to switch her coaching. She's like, I'm going to train with her coach from college, the UCLA guy, only two days a week, and with her husband, the other three days. So now he's not only – he's a coach now as well, not Mm -hmm. just her husband. Well, I also think that's nice because she can probably take those three days and be a little more comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because I think there's a familiarity. Like sometimes it can be detrimental. Yeah. But sometimes I think it can be like – I can actually tell you how I'm fucking feeling. Right. Because, like, I don't care about, like, being like, yes, sir, yes, coach, yes, right. chef. You know, it's like I can be like, I'm fucking exhausted. Yeah. You it's know hot, and this is as fast as I can fucking go right now. Yeah. This is it for me. And then they can push you. Yeah. Even that little bit further than a coach might be comfortable with. Yeah. And then I just think. I and then know. you can fight about it later. It's, it's a exactly. treat. <laughs> Um, and one thing that he did at this point is he started making her run the 400 meter, which is once around the track. Okay. The 400 meter dash is widely considered the longest sprint, but it, it's really weird because sprinting around the entire track is very, very hard. Because you have to curve. Yeah. And just like, it's long enough. That it shouldn't be a sprint, but it's too short to be a distance run. Like, you can't pace yourself. There's no pacing in the 400-meter dash. Yeah. So what this does is it really strengthens her legs. Mm. Like, she, it changes the way that her body functions when Uh she starts running this. So due to this, her 100-meter dash time is increasing a lot. The next time she ran it at the Grand Prix, it was in (gasps) 10.96 seconds. Um, this was a PR for her personal record, but the mark is still only in like the top 40 of women Mm -hmm. of all time, but she continued to improve setting a new PR in San Diego, um, at 10.89 seconds, but that's still shy of her American teammate Mm -hmm. who has the world record or the American record. Then something crazy happens. 
she goes to the Olympic trials and she stuns her colleagues when she sprints a 100 meter dash in 10.49 seconds, which is a new world record by a shit ton. This is the largest gap in world record in all history in time. Wow. That's a, it's like, it's, I didn't do track, but those tenths of a second count so much. Especially in the 100 meter dash. Yeah. We're like, <laughs> it's like, it sounds so crazy going from like 10 and a half sec, like from 11 seconds to 10 and a half seconds. But yeah. like, it's so crucial. And like, it's just wild to me, like the idea of shaving off tenths and tenths and tenths of a second. Yeah. But like, that's bananas. I and don't know. It's, it's really weird because when you watch the race, they all start and then I'll have to show it to you after everybody Google it. Um, she blows them out of the water. It's like something is almost like pushing her down the track. Now this is a huge margin of increase. She does the quarterfinals. So you may, she makes it through in the first one, setting Uh the world records, the quarterfinals, she runs at 10.70, which is slower. Mm -hmm. And then the semifinals at 10.61 at this time, she also sets the world record on this same day for the 200 meter distance at 21.77 seconds. This is huge. And this is the biggest gap in world records since the advent of the electric timer. So it's like now that we have scientific mm-hmm. calculations of how this works, but there's a lot of speculation about this run that there was a technical malfunction because the wind gauge read 0.0, which is inconsistent with races from earlier in the day. And if it's too windy, the higher ups have to cancel the race because it's a wind assisted race, Mm -hmm. but the gauge was reading zero, which may have been incorrect. All the scientific studies from that day found that there was most likely an illegal tailwind, but because the equipment read zero, the record has to stand. Hmm. So, like that being said, the other runners running against her would have had the same benefit, and she still blew them out of the water. That's a good point. It's not like they raced this one at a time. Yes. They were Mm -hmm. all running together with the exact same tailwind. Um, so in 1997, the international athletic annual listed her world record with an asterisk saying probably strongly assisted, but still recognized as the world record. Her fastest non-assisted performance was that same weekend though at 10.61. And that was just like the next day. And the non-assisted record only just got beat in like 2021. Her wind assisted record has never quote, wind assisted, has never been beaten to this day. No woman can beat that record so far. Wow. And just like two years ago, somebody beat the other one, the 10.61. So then she's going to the actual Olympics. Is this just the Olympic trials? It's 1988. She's leading up to the Olympics. Um, She's like, I'm not really happy with this coaching. So she gets rid of that coach. She wants more personal attention. She brings on someone else. Now the world knows her as Flojo because of these amazing runs that she's doing. She's the favorite for the 100 meter. She's the favorite for the 200 meter. And everybody, of course, is asking her, "Um, 
do you think you can run it again? Do you think, you know, in the 1988, like you think you can r- run a 10.49 again to which she's like, yeah, <laughs> of course I can. <laughs> she didn't, but she did run a 10.54 uh, earning the gold medal. She also earned the gold in the 200 meters, setting another world record for 21.56 seconds, uh, which again is still not been beaten today. So she holds the world record in the 100 and 200 meter dash for over 30 years. That's crazy. They're the longest standing world record. She's like considered the fastest woman in the world still. Wow. Yeah. And I hate that like those little asterisks just kind of. Well, it gets worse what people do to her. (laughs) Gets worse. At the same Olympics, she runs the four by one. And the 4 by 400 relays, winning a gold and silver, respectively. So she left the games with four medals at that time, three golds and one silver, which made her um, the second most decorated female track athlete at the time in one Olympic Games. So she's really doing it. After the Olympics, though, she announces her retirement, citing, I, I'm kind of done with mm-hmm. sprinting. I want to start a new business. I want to do opportunities outside of sprinting. Um, So she was awarded the Top Amateur Athlete Award in the United States. And in the weeks following the Olympics, she earns millions of dollars in endorsement deals, primarily in Japan. She also signed a deal with a toy maker to make a Barbie-like doll of her likeness. Two Barbies this week. I love that. She designed – she was – uh, brought on to design the uniform for the Indiana Pacers in the NBA. <laughs> That's so cool. So she designs their uniform. She is the co-chair of the President's Council of Physical Fitness. So it's like the run 50 seconds a day or whatever, like Michelle Obama did. Oh, like she yeah. was in charge of that for the president at the time, which I guess is Ronald Reagan or Bush. Bush won. I don't know. One of the two. But she's in charge of the President's Council of Physical Fitness. I'm bad on male Fitness. presidential history. <laughs> That's all of it. (laughs) Same. Okay. So she appears on like guest spots and television shows. And then of course she and husband Al Joyner have a daughter together named Mary Ruth Joyner, who was born in November of 1990. So their kid is um, like Casey and Marjorie's age. Wow. Yeah. So like they really are a mom. She is our mom's age. Yeah. In 1996, Florence announced her comeback to athletics, concentrating on her 400-meter dash. She was like, I want to have the all three sprint world records. She's like, I got the one, I got the two, I want the four. She trained endlessly leading up to the Olympics. However, tendonitis in her right leg ended her hopes of the triple world record hold. But there's a lot of controversy surrounding Florence Griffiths Joyner. There are two camps about her. Some say she was definitely using performance-enhancing drugs to jump that much in time um, because, like, she has this one record and then she's got this other record and maybe it's wind-assisted or – but it was just too big of a gap for her to, like, make that much progress in a short amount of months. And it's actually kind of gross the way that, like, people argue this. They put up, like, pictures of her body and her Face and they're like, look how this is elongated and look at this muscle and like they're measuring shit and they're like, this is actually anti-feminist because it's harming other female sprinters of today who are never going to be able to beat the record and like blah, blah, blah. And then the other camp is she was extremely fast. They tested her. 
it was negative, and you right. guys are unwilling to accept this because she was an unapologetically black woman with yeah. big hair and mm-hmm. big nails and jewelry, mm-hmm. and you just weren't comfortable with it. I mean, I think it was mirrored in the last Olympics. Yes, when exactly. that one runner got fucking booted out of the Olympics because she had smoked pot. Yeah, where it's like, I believe it was legal where she was. Yes, and then it was just that whole fucking bullshit controversy where it's like. And she has a very similar style. Like, it was very bold and loud. And she had, like, colored hair. Yeah. And big nails. Big nails. Yeah, yeah. And they were just, like, you know, fake eyelashes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, just, like, looking really fucking cool. And they were, like, well. Sorry, you smoke pot. Sorry, you smoke pot. Just, like, that's so ridiculous. That's, like, performance unenhancing. I know. I know. The <laughs> like, smoking pot is not helpful. No. Oh, my gosh. It's just, yeah. it's annoying that people won't accept reality when it comes yeah. to women of color. Yeah. And that like, she's actually just really good at this sport. Yeah. Which is really upsetting. So right away though, this is what we know. She came into 19, the 1988 Olympics with these world records. So she was under huge suspicion. So they all, they were testing her all along. Yeah. They, they, she came in and they were like, good, we'll test her a whole bunch. Um, and let me find the quote. They said, we performed all possible imaginal analysis on her. We never found anything. There should not be the lightest suspicion. Great. Why isn't that enough? Yeah. The Olympics said that. Like, Why come on. Isn't that so, enough? It's so stupid. But. The problem is, in 1989, a story from, from Daryl Robinson. Oh, also, I should say, when she was in the Olympics, HGH was not illegal. Human growth hormones was not against the Olympic okay. records at that time. But they still didn't find it in her system when okay. they tested. So, and then some people are like, oh, well, they didn't have specific tests for that back then. It's like, the Olympics said we literally tested for everything. Yeah. And there was nothing there. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. So this guy, Daryl Robinson, a formal te- former teammate of hers, claimed that she, he sold her 10 milliliters of human growth hormone for $2,000. He was paid $25,000 for this story. He also claimed that he had received steroids from her coach and that he saw Carl Lewis inject himself with what he thought was testosterone. But what's important is that Robinson never provided evidence for any of his allegations and was shunned by the athletic community. Like other athletes won't even talk to him because they're like, that's bullshit, man. Like, you know, that's not true. So it really premature ended his career. Fuck. But but it made all of these people look bad that could have been using, you know, HGH, but many might not have been. And now their careers are under speculation because of him. I hate when like little things shade shade lifelong doubt. Yeah. On on somebody's life. Yeah. So all of this is going on. And unfortunately, in September 1998, when Florence was 38 years old, she had a severe epileptic seizure while she was sleeping and died due to suffocation. What? This unexpected and shocking death of a young, healthy woman only furthered the rumors of drug use. But her autopsy showed that all that was in her system was acetaminophen, Tylenol, Mm -hmm. and Benadryl. Not in overdose quantities. Um, 
And it was found that she had had a congenital vascular brain abnormality that made her subject to seizures. And she had been being treated for them since, like, 1993. So, like, she was in the know. She wasn't doing or taking anything inappropriate. That also, like, further strengthens my belief that she wasn't taking anything dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) Could have been a risk to me. Trying to take care of herself. Yeah. So all of this just, like, sheds light. Like, it's, like my fastest run wasn't fast because of the wind. My world records aren't world records because of steroids. I died not because of a medical issue, but because I'm taking drugs. It just sheds all this light on a black woman that should not be shed on her because she was really doing these things. So in 1995, Florence was inducted in the USA track and field hall of fame in 2000. They named a street in LA after her. She was an artist and a painter, and her work is displayed with the show Art of the Olympians. She was named Woman of the Year in 1988 and was listed as one of the most influential women of the past century in Time's 2020 list. To date, both her 100-meter and 200-meter world records stand, making them the longest reigning sprinting records in track and field history. And that is the story of Florence Griffith joining wow. So quick. Quick and dirty. Quick and dirty. I can't believe that. All right. Well, now we need to talk about these two ladies in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. I mean, talk about someone that should have lived a long life and didn't, and someone who should have died much sooner and did not. I mean, literally, Nightingale was suffering from a fucking dairy disease. Dairy disease and lived to 90. Crazy. Flojo lived till 38, you said? Yeah. As she, a top athlete? Yeah. Her body was so well taken care of. That is so scary to me. I, like, I just it's don't terrifying. understand that at all. But just like that scope of things, I think. Only, like, obviously, like, they had such different lives. You know, poor big family, small wealthy family. You know, but both of them got affected by wars in Russia. (laughs) I know. Fucking Russia. (laughs) Come Um, on, guys. And I also think that both of them had their dreams kind of uh, suspended, not totally torn down, but like Mm. suspended by family issues because different families do have different things that come up. So for Flojo, it was that like she was like, I literally like I have to go work to help support my family. Mm-hmm. So she had to put her running career on hold for a little bit. And Florence Nightingale, her family couldn't wouldn't allow her because she had to be allowed to do this because she was a young single Victorian woman. Yeah, she had to be allowed, and her like respectability politics was like absolutely not. So it's interesting to me how like these couldn't be more different families, but still there are things. That sometimes make it difficult for you to do what you fucking want to do. And both of them had to do their career without a paycheck for years. <sighs> amateurs. Yeah. Yep. They were considered amateurs for years and years. They had this job and they're performing at the top of the world. Like yeah. the best people in the world and are mm-hmm. not getting paid. It's yeah. like they're a volunteer. I know. <laughs> really bananas. Yeah. Um, and that... And their careers also are very interesting to me because although, like, they're very different, but they both, they deal with health and well-being and the importance of scientific calculations. Oh, are yeah. Very with interesting the clock and the timing. Because mm-hmm. um, we're talking about 
milliseconds. And we're talking about millions of human lives. Mm -hmm. And like, it doesn't, it also like, that's another thing. If it doesn't matter if you're talking about millions of lives or just a few, Florence is like, it matters whether we fucking wash our hands or not. Mm -hmm. And Florence is like, those milliseconds do matter to me because it maintains my status as the fastest woman in the world. And like, I don't know. I just think numbers are very important in both of these stories. They are. And I think like what Florence believed in was something that people couldn't see. Like germ theory is so small and like a millisecond is something you can't really calculate. Uh It's so tiny. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that both of them were just like in these worlds where the tiniest little things can make the biggest difference. Like massive changes. But I, I also think that the way that they presented themselves to the world uh was different and i think that florence overall florence nightingale was accepted you know she was a victorian wealthy white woman who got accolades and Mm -hmm. parades for what she did and florence joiner flojo didn't look the traditional part and was accused of just all of the debauchery yeah well and it's annoying because talking about accolades it's like we're still contesting Flojo's accomplishments. Mm-hmm. We're still contesting it. There are people that don't believe that she deserves the things that she accomplished. Right. And Florence Nightingale spent her whole life, the whole rest of her life being like, I shouldn't, I don't deserve this credit. There are other people involved in this. There are other things going on. Like we should be looking at the bigger picture, but we're not. And I think the bigger picture is important in both of these. Like, Florence Griffith Joyner, her story is really about the bigger picture of how we treat people who aren't perfect models of athletes Mm -hmm. in the press. Right. We're still dealing. We just talked. I wish I could remember her fucking name, but I can't. Allison. No. I can't remember. I can't remember her name. But we're still dealing with respectability politics. Yeah. We're still doing it. Yeah. And I think we, you know, we're trying to come back. Like mm-hmm. we're trying to say, Hey, look at Mary Seacole. Mm-hmm. Look what she did and look how amazing that was. And we disregarded, you know, in the, in the 1800s, we disregarded black women, Can you believe it? but we're doing it now, <laughs> right? which is what's upsetting that the, the, the change hasn't occurred. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're trying to shed light in hindsight on the past without acknowledging the problems of the present. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's a constant problem that we have as humans that we don't like to accept the facts that are presented to us mm-hmm. because there are shadows of doubt. There are asterisks on things. And I think about Florence Nightingale is trying to tell people that like germs are real. It's not smells that are causing diseases. Diseases in sewage cause smells and those like they will hit the body quicker than that smell hits your fucking nose. Yeah. And, like she's trying to convince people of that. And Flojo's trying to convince people like I wasn't on drugs. It wasn't like like the wind that <laughs> soared me to the finish line. She's like, I did that on my own. And like no one is believing me because we don't like to accept narratives that don't coincide with our current belief. And I think that's why it's important that like both of these women, I think, wanted to leave a better future for other people. I think Flojo wanted to leave a better future for runners like her. Mm-hmm. That's why she didn't just wear the uniform like she was supposed to. She still put her flair on it, put the necklace on, wore her hair down. And that's also why Florence Nightingale wrote very specific rules. That was like, 
this is how we're going to do it. And the rules included growing and changing, Mm -hmm. which I think is uh, a very un, uh, what do you want to call it? I don't know, but it's, we should be acknowledging that more in everything that like things change, opinions change. We need to move with the time. So we're providing the best possible care. Yeah. It can't be like, oh, well, this this isn't the way we've always done it. Right. Who cares how you've done it? The way we've always done it is that like, you know, drugs aren't allowed. It's like, okay, well, pot isn't really considered a hard drug anymore. Like, can we maybe get rid of that rule? Can we change with the times? Mm -hmm. Can we update this? Because it's definitely not performance enhancing. It's not helping her run any (laughs) faster. So can we get rid, can we shed the excess weight of things that put asterisks and doubt on people's lively, maybe not livelihoods, because obviously sometimes these women weren't paid, (laughs) but like on their careers, on their legacies, there's, and sometimes they're good asterisks. Like we should talk about the fact that like Florence is probably racist. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes we should talk about, yeah. And I mean, sometimes the asterisks are like, they wanted to paint her as like a really good bedside manner nurse, but actually she was a statistician. Like that's an important asterisk to put next to Florence Nightingale. Yeah, exactly. So they're good asterisks and bad ones. And I think that again, we just have to, what I learned from both of these stories is that like, we need to look at all the facts, not Mm -hmm. just the ones that pertain to our particular current style of beliefs. Right. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Are you ready to toast? Who would you like to toast this evening? I just want to toast Florence for being unapologetically herself. She loved her Mm -hmm. fashion. She loved her style. She loved her method of training. Mm -hmm. And she she did it the way she wanted to. And because she wasn't being paid, she didn't dedicate her whole life to it. She would be like, I'll train for the five months before the Olympics. And because she was so good, she could. And that's what made people doubt her. It's like, yeah. sorry, just because you're not good enough to get in shape in five months doesn't mean that Florence isn't. God, Morgan, seven months just to get my 5K down to 35 <laughs> minutes. Girl, I've been trying <laughs> to lose five pounds for, for a year. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Cheers to Florence. <laughs> All right. I'm going to toast the organizers, just the ladies in charge. My God, I love when someone walks into a place and knows a Exactly what to do. Oh, yeah. Because I have a lot of doubt in myself. And I just, I'm so jealous of people that are like, no, 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 that's right. Like, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to clean the wounds. Like, mm. <laughs> let's, all, let's all clean them. Let's clean them. Um, maybe let's just move the feces. And I just feel like you should move the feces somewhere else, please. <laughs> I just love women that take over. And I feel like Florence, Florence did that. And she did it well. And she brought a lot of needed, still needed respect to nursing sure so cheers to nurses cheers <laughs> all right what are you enjoying in pop culture this week blush blush katie okay i was in this wedding mm-hmm. and at the last minute the um the we couldn't get appointments for hair and makeup uh-huh. So we all had to like go out and get certain things. And I'm not a blush wearer. Mm-hmm. I wear mascara. I wear chapstick, sometimes mm-hmm. a little bit of a red lip and then foundation. Mm-hmm. Never blush. Mm-hmm. So I bought blush for this wedding and I was looking at pictures and I was like, I look so joyful. And I like, I'm, I can tell you that it's right. because of the blush. <laughs> like I have a, I look way less washed out in these huh. pictures. And I just, I just got a, a little powder and a little blush brush and just right on my, I had no idea. 
That's so interesting. What a different impact it would have on my face. I don't even look like myself when I have it on. I'm like, wow, I look so happy. Because <laughs> I'm, like, it makes me want to get some blush. I, I got it at <sighs> Sephora. Like I went into the Sephora at Kohl's yeah. and the little sales girl helped me find a good that. color for my skin tone. And I was like, this is amazing. I just got like some $8 blush. And I was like, I love this. God, speaking about the experts too, I feel like it is such a good idea sometimes. Like, it's because I'm not a makeup person. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. It stresses me out. And I feel like I just need to just go ahead and like go into the store and ask the person at the makeup counter for help. This girl I walked like around. I ask for help, but did, I need to. Did I tell you about this girl? I think a little bit. Yeah, like she walked around with me in Sephora for like 15 minutes. Oh. And I was like, okay. Here's the, you're going to be in the Dominican. Here is the primer you need. Here's the setting spray so you don't sweat all your makeup off in two minutes. Like, are you going to have eyelashes? Okay, so you don't need to buy a fancy mascara. Like, she was so helpful that I went and found the manager to tell him how helpful she was. I was like, this little girl. Little girl. She was probably like 22. (laughs) Sephora Nightingale. Just telling you what you needed. So everybody, go to the Sephora in Kohl's in... Ellicott City. <laughs> and also, yeah, it was just really, it was really great. And then now I'm like, if I'm going somewhere fancy, not daily use, but like I'm right. now a blush advocate. I love that. I had no idea. Okay. All right. What are you into? I'm going to promote putting things on your Amazon wish list before buying them. Oh, yeah. This is a problem I have where like I love instant gratification. Sure. I love buying things off Amazon because it is so fucking easy Mm -hmm. but recently I've been trying to like really like you know ran it on in and I've been putting things on my wish list and that way if I'm still thinking about it a couple days later I go back and I buy it that's perfect and then if I totally fucking forget about it then I don't buy it and then if it lasts around till Christmas and I kind of still want it I put it on my fucking Christmas yeah it (laughs) Do you have multiple so much money? Do you have multiple lists? One big one, baby. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. I have one that's called like house dreams. Ooh. And I have ones that's called like gifts for other people. Like if I see something in <gasps> that's March a great idea. that I want for like your birthday in October, I just throw it on gifts for other people so that later when I'm like, what should I get them? I just scan through it. Well, and then sometimes it'll be like, Well, this is now five percent cheaper. Yeah. You're like, the lad I waited. <laughs> and then sometimes like, it doesn't exist anymore. And you're yeah. like, bummer but (laughs) but it's really helped me because like putting on the wish list kind of gives me that little jolt of like okay it's there it's saved it's saved Save for later and like i like clicking the buttons yeah but i'm not blindly spending lots of money that's a really good hint tip and pro tip and if i put it on my list and i see something similar out in the world then I'm like, oh, well, now I can buy it here because I know that I kind of want it. At and like actual establishment. actual establishment and not, you know, support Amazon. So, you know, I think it's good. Big for business. Big <laughs> business with their Rolodexes. <laughs> they love a Rolodex at, at Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> That's how they ship out all their orders. I knew it. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about interesting things a little bit more join us on patreon for as little as a dollar a month you can hear our innermost personal thoughts and feelings sometimes uh, too personal some, yeah we're going to be talking tonight um about a couple of things mainly my per, re, my recent health struggles yeah of and, course and maybe leslie van houten because <laughs> that's been on my mind i can't handle it okay so we're gonna be talking about that she's out of prison us, 
Okay. Spoiler alert. Um, so join us there. Join us every Tuesday for Tipsy Tuesday. You can take our quiz. Try and guess who made each cocktail. You guys have been good the last couple weeks. You have been. Uh, we love you. We like you. <laughs> um, oh, rate and review us. And never forget that well-behaved women aren't named Florence. No, they are, <laughs> and they rarely make history. Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye